Deuteronomy 8, beginning at verse 1. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give you, to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up And you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fierce serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought your water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God, and go after other gods, and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. Good morning, everyone, and thanks, Alvin, for uh, reading Deuteronomy 8. I'd love you to keep your Bibles open at this chapter as we uh, look at it together this morning. And let's just uh, pray again as we come to God's Word. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are a God who has spoken and your words are powerful. In fact, as we've read in this chapter, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so please feed us with your word this morning. 
We thank you that your word is like a, a light, a lamp on our path. We thank you that it illuminates our lives and speaks so powerfully to us. And we pray that that would be our experience this morning by the enabling of your Holy Spirit. Speak into our hearts and our lives and make us listen, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, if you were to describe how life is for you at the moment, uh, would you describe it more uh, like a, a, a garden or a wilderness? More like a place that's, that's paradise, that's beautiful and lush and green and happy and wonderful, or more like a place that's dry and harsh and arid and difficult? Life has both doesn't it? Sometimes life is absolutely magnificent. It's brilliant. Uh, just in January, Wendy and I uh, had a holiday back in New Zealand where we come from. I had just uh, stepped down as principal of the RDC and so an enormous weight of responsibility had lifted off my shoulders. We went to some of our favourite places in New Zealand. Uh, we were eating magnificent food and far too much of it. We were uh, relaxed the scenery in some of those places is absolutely delightful. In fact, we were in Wanaka, which is um, one of my favorite places on earth. There's a beautiful lake. There are magnificent mountains. It's kind of picture postcard perfect. And on one day, we were, um, we were sitting on the side of the lake at this little cafe drinking coffee. And I said to Wendy, I think when God recreates and restores and renews the earth, he won't really have to do much with Wanaka. It, like you feel that you're in paradise. But life is not always like that, is it? Sometimes it's the polar opposite. Sometimes we're just overwhelmed by sadness or difficulty. We're grieved, maybe deeply hurt by other people. Sometimes life is no paradise, it is a desert. Where are you this morning as you sit here in church? In a desert or in a paradise place? In fact, maybe you want to say both, because often life is this mix, this agonizing mix of good and bad. Well, wherever you are, I think this chapter is a wonderful chapter to speak into those realities because God is speaking to, here to his people, to the people of Israel, as they transition literally from wilderness to paradise. God is speaking to his people after 40 years in the desert and they're about to enter into the promised land that will be like paradise to them. Moses has been their leader throughout these wilderness years and he's preaching to them. Deuteronomy is a sermon or a series of sermons. And in this sermon, he speaks to them now both about the difficult years, the wilderness years that are behind them and about the paradise years that are ahead of them. And what he says about those two very different eras is of huge importance to us. It's fascinating, actually, because he doesn't make the equation that we so easily make. We so easily make the equation difficult, 
equals bad. Good and pleasant and lovely equals good. But rather what he does here is he speaks of the blessing of difficulty and the difficulty of blessing. The blessing of difficulty and the difficulty of blessing. Those are the two things I want us to explore together. First of all, the blessing of difficulty. I wonder if any of the uh, young, younger people here just love being disciplined uh, by your parents. It's like, yay, my parents are disciplining me. Curfew, oh, grounded, restrictions. What a delight. My parents love me so much, they're disciplining me. You'd be a weird kid. <laughs> we don't think that way, do we? We don't like discipline. We don't like hardship. And yet, we kind of need it. God's people, his entire nation, had just spent 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Well, it was because 40 years earlier, they had been in exactly the place they were in again now, on the cusp of entering the promised land. But they had lacked faith in God. They'd lost heart and lost courage and didn't think that God could get them into that land and give it to them. And the Lord was angered with them because of their lack of faith and trust. And he sentenced them to 40 years in the wilderness. He ordained that that entire generation would not enter the promised land, but they would have to wait there in the wilderness for an entire generation to die. And then he would take the next generation in. And here in Deuteronomy 8, he explains what he was doing through that. Look at verse 2. You shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. That, that's what God was doing through that discipline, testing them, humbling them humbling them so that they would be absolutely dependent on him like they were meant to be, testing them to see what was in their hearts, whether their hearts would cling to the Lord or turn away from him. In these ways, he was disciplining them. That's what it says in verse 5 as it explains this further. Know that in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord disciplines you. This discipline then of the Lord was, was not merely designed to punish them. It was designed to test them, to humble them, to change them, to produce a changed heart. Now, I think as, as parents, we face that all the time, don't we? We try to work out what discipline is appropriate. You know, your kid has arced up, rebelled, done the wrong thing. I mean, kids in South Island don't do that, but... In other families, this happens, I believe, and you know, kids mess up. And as parents, you have that conversation. We've, we've had it often. 
what do, what do we do? What's appropriate? Do we ground them? Do we do, we do restriction? Do I find them? What, what do I do? And you're trying to find something where the punishment fits the crime, but also where it might make a difference. God had to devise a punishment that would fit the crime and make a difference. And 40 years in the wilderness is like the ultimate grounding. Some parents might be tempted to use the same method. In the wilderness, God would then test them in regard to their most basic need, food. Look at what it says there in verse 3. He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna. He made them hungry and then he fed them. He showed them through this wilderness experience, literally this wilderness experience, that they needed him. They needed his help. They needed his provision. He made them feel their need of him, and then he met their need. And he did so with a daily miracle. Manna was this bread that he, he, he brought down from heaven, and it settled on the ground, and they could collect it day by day, 365 days a year. For 40 years, he miraculously provided for his people. And actually... He didn't only provide manna. This was like a total care package. Uh, I've just recently been looking into travel insurance. And, and when you buy travel insurance, you, you, you've got to look at all the inclusions and the exclusions. What is actually covered? And you can pay a whole lot more and get more stuff covered. Well, God provides for the Israelites this total care package. There's not only bread from heaven. There's water from the rock. And... Have a look at what's covered uh, there in verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your feet did not swell these 40 years. That's good coverage, isn't it? Foot care, such that in the wilderness, walking around in that hot sand, no swollen feet. This is, this is very good travel insurance. And 40 years, clothes that don't wear out. How good is that? Like, not good for the fashion industry, but good for the environment, Yep, good for the budget, and good for guys who hate shopping. You know, this, this is phenomenal care. God watching over every need of his people. So it's discipline, but isn't it utterly unique discipline? It's like a father who grounds his kid. But then, while this kid is grounded, he brings him every conceivable goodie. Grounded. And here's the pizza. Oh, and I've arranged for your friends to come round. Oh, and I bought a new Xbox for you. And the kid's like, this is the best grounding I've ever had. <laughs> Why would God do that? Why would God do such Gracious discipline. So that they would see that they do not live by bread alone, but by every 
word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So that they would see that yes, they needed bread, but what they really needed was the God who provided bread and foot care and clothes and water and everything that they needed to be sustained. That's what it says there in verse 3, isn't it? He humbled you. He let you hunger. He fed you with manna, which your fathers didn't know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You, you don't just need bread. We, we need bread to live. We need food. But we need the God who gives it, the God who loves us, the God who cares for us. We live by his word. Why does it say we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord? Because in a very real way, God acts through his word. God spoke and created. God spoke and blessed. God spoke and cursed. His word enacts his power. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's as though hearing is the new seeing. How do you see God? The invisible God, the God who has descended on Mount Sinai in smoke and fire, you listen to his words. And how do you live in the desert? By feeding on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord, letting his word feed you, his word sustain you, his word guide you. That's why Jesus, when he was in the wilderness and when he was tempted by the devil because he was hungry to turn a stone into a loaf of bread, that's why Jesus quoted this very verse, Deuteronomy 8.3, and he said to Satan, Oh no, I will not use my power to look after myself. Man does not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, friends, here is the blessing of difficulty. There are times when God will strip us of almost everything else to make us see what we most need, which is God himself. And his word. And it happens, doesn't it? it? It happens that hardship drives us to God unlike anything else. Don't you know the experience? You're really sick and you plead with God and you pray to God like you don't pray when you're healthy. You've sinned terribly and you feel so guilty and you get more real with God than you've been for ages. You're utterly alone and in your loneliness you reach out for a Bible and you actually literally turn to God's word 
for help. During the bushfires recently, I heard a, a man on TV being interviewed and he said that, that as those bushfires were sweeping into his town, he said, I prayed to God. And then he said, and I'm an atheist. It's kind of how it works. In fact, I think there can be stages in that experience. The initial stage is that we do just cry out to God for mercy. We cry for his help. Oh, Lord, please, please help me. But then as hardship and discipline bites more and more, there's another stage where we find that difficulty starts to recalibrate our expectations. Have you found that? You sometimes see that poor people, really poor people, are so thankful for the smallest things. You sometimes see that sick people, really sick people, are so grateful for the smallest physical benefits that they have. We begin to have this change of perspective on life. Once we were just living for money, for fun, for success, for good times. But on a deathbed, people aren't talking about money and fun. There's been a recalibration of what really matters in life. And so it can move to a third stage in our experience. We can find joy and delight in God when we've got it in almost nothing else. His word becomes more precious to us and actually feeds our soul and gives us hope and peace and joy. I love the words... In Psalm 73, where the psalmist says this, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Friends, here is the blessing of difficulty. When hardship comes, the Lord is not trying to make your life miserable. But he might be stripping things back in order that you come to seek him like you've never sought him before. That you see how much he loves you. How much he wants relationship with you how much he wants his word to feed you and bless you. He's kind enough to take away all the other stuff and give you himself. And the word we are to live by is the word made flesh, Jesus Christ. And the bread we're to feed on is the bread of life. Jesus, God's own son. God loves you enough.
to drive you to himself. That's the blessing of difficulty. But what if then life becomes good? What if you come out the other side of all that stuff that tears us up? Then we face the difficulty of blessing. A whole new challenge arises, and Moses now warns the people of that. He warns of what could happen in the promised land. He actually, sort of in the transitional uh, section of this passage, describes that land. Look at verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and water, of fountains and springs, flowing in the valleys and hills, a land of weed and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive like It's magnificent. Sounds like New Zealand, doesn't it? And uh, the Lord is going to bring them into this good land. Abundance, success, joy, happiness. And a whole new danger. The danger is that we will enjoy the blessings so much we will forget the one who has given them to us. Look at the warnings that follow on. Verse 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Verse 12. Lest when you have eaten, you're full and have built houses and lived them and you're Everything's multiplying. He uses the word multiply multiple times. Everything's good. Lest, verse 14, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might and my hand have gotten me this wealth. He's warning of this danger. The danger is you'll enjoy all this good stuff now and you'll forget the Lord. And your heart will become a bit proud. Yeah, well, I've done pretty well for myself, actually. Worked pretty hard. Accumulated some good stuff. You credit yourself with having achieved it. That's the risk. All is good, and we become a little bit puffed up. We become more independent, more self-sufficient. And gradually we become less prayerful, less dependent on the Lord, less grateful for the smallest of things. We expect big things, less humble. In fact, we might even develop a sense of entitlement. I, uh, I mow the lawns for our elderly next-door neighbor. She's 80-something, and I mow her lawns. I inherited the job from one of my sons when he got married. He'd had it for years and I took it over years ago now. He used to get paid pocket money for mowing her lawns. Quite good pocket money, I must say. Well, when I took over the job, she insisted on paying me. I said, no, no, no. Like, I, I don't need pocket money. I just love to do it. For no, no, she says. She's a very stubborn old lady. And uh, she absolutely insisted on paying me to mow the lawns. And so for years now, I've been paid quite handsomely for mowing her lawns. I put this money aside. It's our date money. Wendy and I go out on the strength of my lawn mowing. <laughs> two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I went and mowed her lawns. And she gave me some money. And a note was missing. <laughs> it was like half the amount of usual. I thought, hang on, where's the rest? 
I didn't say it, but I felt a little bit peeved. I know she's getting old, but she's only given me half the amount I deserve. And then I thought to myself, Flip, I've told her for years I don't need to be paid. But I have grown accustomed to her kindness. And I felt entitled to it. And we become the same so easily with God's blessings. They're pure kindness. They're pure grace. But we get so used to grace that we expect it. And we feel entitled to his goodness. We forget that every breath we take is the gift of God. Every meal we have is grace. That's why Christians have this habit of saying grace before a meal. It's not meant to be an empty, hollow tradition. It's meant to be saying, Lord, even this food is a gift of your kindness. Thank you again. Every possession you have is the kindness of God. And then think of what we have in Jesus Christ. All the blessings we have in Christ are the pure grace of God. He's forgiven our sins. He indwells us by the Holy Spirit. He's promised us eternal hope. He's given us his word. He's given us a church community so that we're not alone but have brothers and sisters and encouragement and spiritual food on a Sunday. All this is God's kindness and grace to us. But the place of blessing proves now to be a place of testing. Will we stay focused on the Lord when all is good? And we know that that can go wrong, don't we? You're first saved and you're so full of joy and excitement at what God has done for you. But over time, we lose the joy of our salvation. You're starting up a new venture and it's hard and you're praying like crazy that God will help you with this. And then it starts to go well. And you continue it in your own strength and you pray about it a heap less. You plead with God to get you through this trouble and he gets you through it and you roll on barely thinking about how good God has been to you. We run this risk that the better our life is, the worse our spiritual life is. And it's very natural, isn't it? It happens in other parts of life as well. You go through a a little health crisis And you renew all your vows of diet and exercise. And for a few weeks, maybe a few months, you're just amazing. But as your health is restored, slowly all that newfound discipline ebbs away. And so we may find that when life is good, God becomes more peripheral to us. All of a sudden it's easier to trade church for some leisure activity. It's easier to trade reading the Bible for another Netflix movie. It's easier to trade talking about what God has done for talking about what we've been doing. 
Friends, this whole chapter, Deuteronomy 8, is gunning for God's people to be totally committed to him, to love him, to obey him, to walk in his ways, to keep his word, to fear him. That's what it wants. It wants us to be totally committed to him. God wants us to love him because he first loved us. He wants us to lean on him because he's the one who provides for us. He wants us to walk in his ways because we've seen that they are the best ways in which to walk. He he wants us to feed on his word because it's more life-giving than Facebook and Women's Weekly. So what do we do? To avoid this risk, this danger of of becoming more distant from God when life is good. Well, the chapter really puts in front of us a one-word remedy. Remember. That's it, remember. Look at verse 2. And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God led you those 40 years. Verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. Remember, you, you and I just have to constantly remind ourselves of how utterly dependent we are on God. If you're in good health here this morning, remember that that is God's kindness and grace to you. If business has been going well, ventures are working out, house paid off, If things are good, that is because God has been incredibly kind and given you wealth and possessions. If you are going well spiritually, that's because God has been gracious to you and drawn you to himself and given you his word and his spirit. Remember how good God has been to you. Don't only remember that. When things are bad, remember it when it's good. And notice then, we don't become more committed to God by trying to be more committed. That's, that's our natural tendency, isn't it? Okay, so I've got to be more committed. But you can't whip up commitment. We become committed, more committed to God by remembering how much Jesus Christ has done for us. That's why we come to church week after week, and you're stupid if you don't. Because we need weekly reminders of God and his grace and his people and his word. That's why we sing songs, heaps of them, about God and grace and kindness and love and mercy. We need to sing about this stuff. It's why we take the Lord's Supper here regularly, because the Lord's Supper reminds us of the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. That's why it's such a good idea to read the Bible at home for yourself because you can feed on God's word daily and be reminded about who God really is and what life is really about. And we remember that 
God in Christ has brought us into a very good land. Better than Canaan. Adopted as children. Saved from all our sin. Promised every blessing in Christ. Given his word. Given gifts with which to serve him. Drawn into his mission in this world. Oh, friends, don't forget the Lord. Thank him. Bless him. Praise him. Acknowledge him. The chapter ends with a very sobering warning to the people of Israel if they don't do that. Verse 19, if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Apart from the Lord, it doesn't matter what goodies you have in life. If you forget the Lord, you will perish. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses or forfeits his soul? So there it is. The blessing of difficulty and the difficulty of blessing. And the solution to both is the same. Remember God. Remember his grace. Remember his love. Remember his word that feeds you. Remember the purpose of his discipline. And remember where real blessing is found. Shall we pray together? We thank you, Lord, that your word has spoken to us this morning. And we thank you so much for the reminder that there is actually real blessing in times of difficulty. And we pray that in the difficult times that we come into, we would learn that you are all that we really need. Drive us to yourself in our times of pain. And we also pray that we would learn to handle the difficulty of blessing. And when things are good, help us not to forget you or to become more distant from you. Our lives are such a mix of these things, Father, and we pray that in all the circumstances of life, you would keep us close to yourself. And so we thank you for the rich blessing found in Jesus for all that you've given us in him. Draw our hearts to Christ, we pray, for his sake. Amen.